You're listening to The Crossroad Podcast with Joey and Kylie Willis. Through redefining effective leadership, The Crossroad Podcast explores what it means to live a life of intention and purpose. Join us as we explore the ins and outs of effective leadership and vibrant living. This episode is going to be a part two to the last episode, which was Avoiding Choices. So Avoiding Choices, part two. We've got two very exciting things that are different about this episode. One of them you'll get to enjoy and one of them won't matter at all to you. The first thing is that we are not in our closet sweating during this episode, which doesn't (laughs) matter to you. And an unforeseen, unfortunate consequence of us not being in the closet is that you might notice some surrounding noise. We're recording this in our apartment in New York City. So there might be ambulances, helicopters, uh, Godzilla stomping nearby skyscrapers. There might be something going on around us. Uh, so we apologize for that, but we needed to make room at the table for Serena. So we ask that you have grace for the noise uh, and and tune in to what we're trying to say and not the weird things that might be happening in the distant background. Um, but the second thing is that we have Serena Tuomi joining us. So Kylie's going to introduce Serena. I am so excited about this. Serena is a dear friend of mine who has been a student at the King's College and has been in leadership in the house that I advise, the house of Corey Ten Boom. And I have gotten to get to know Serena and meet with her on basically a weekly basis for the last three years. And so She has just graduated from the King's College, um, which is perfect because she is entering into this season of having to make choices in her life. Um, She no longer is going to school every day and having to get up every morning and do work for classes and, you know, serve her exec team and all sorts of these things. She's actually embarking on this brand new adventure as a adult who is no longer going to school and she is going to be forced to make some choices in her life. Um, And she is a bit of an active choice avoider. Um, She doesn't love making choices. Uh, It's something that we've been meeting and talking about for the last year, two years? Yeah, two years. Um, (laughs) So anyways, I want you all to meet this person who is very special to me and very dear, um, who we get to talk to today about growing in your choices. Yeah, so just like Kylie, just like me, just like all of you, Serena is a chronic decision maker. And so we're excited to bring in another voice just to talk a little bit more about um, some of the issues surrounding making choices. So Serena, let's start with this. What are some of the choices that you have the most difficulty with? What's an example of like a kind of choice that you're just like, oh no, here's one of the toughies? (laughs) Yeah, that's... A pretty hard question to answer for me because I want to say all choices. <laughs> um, choices are not my friend. I think if I had to choose a type of choice, though, I would say big decisions are my least favorite um, because I'm a seven on the Enneagram. And sevens are known to be adventurers, people who really like to keep their options open. And so when I have to make a big decision, I almost always get crippled because I see it as something that could potentially close doors to possibilities 
when in reality, like what I want is to keep all the doors across the board open. That way I don't have to close any. Um, so yeah, I'd say bigger decisions over the small decisions, although those can get to be difficult as well sometimes. <laughs> the summer before I do some traveling and then head off to um, do some missions in Denmark. And so there's a lot that's on my plate. And I recently caught myself scheduling my days so busy to where I would get home late at night, be exhausted, know that I need and should sit down to journal and think through things and like make some decisions just about what's coming up in the next month or so. But instead, I'll like scroll on my phone, eat a snack and then go to bed. And it's like, I... <laughs> and pr I'm just really, yeah, I'm really good at avoiding um, decision making if I, if I'm not paying attention and being careful about it. It's when I catch myself that I'm like, okay, it's time. You got to think through this thing or make this decision or whatever it is. Do you feel like you make game time decisions a lot? So like you call an audible, like, oh, okay, like I need to make a decision now. And if I don't make it now, then like the opportunity is gone from me. And so you sort of like make it really quickly in the moment as opposed to thinking it through. I, so this is funny. I think a lot of people think that I'm going to go back to the Enneagram. I think a lot of people think that sevens really like to like, they'll make quick decisions, but sevens are actually head types, which makes like, that means that we're thinkers essentially. And so I, I guess maybe I can't speak for all sevens, but I know for myself, I need, I like ample time to think things through because I need to think of all the possibilities and the pros and cons on both sides. And I like to be able to weigh them and figure out, okay, which one, you know, will bring more joy or, you know, like what will each decision, like what are the outcomes of both things? So I really like to sit with things. If I need to make a split decision, I almost feel crippled, like. For example, last week I had some friends who were going to the new Harry Potter store here in New York and they'd invited me to go, but the timing was weird. And so I was in Manhattan, I live in Brooklyn. I was in Manhattan like an hour too early, had nowhere to go because the school was closed and it was a super rainy day. So there was, I couldn't just walk around, I couldn't go to a park. and. I was having dinner with a friend who was about to leave and head back home and we were at the train station and she's like, you have to decide, are you going to like figure out where to go and wait for the next hour and then go uptown like super late at night? Or are you just going to go home? And I didn't know what to do. So I was like, you just, you just go, I'm just going to stand here. And I was like crippled. And she was like, Serena, it's not that deep. Like I go to the store, don't go, go home. And I was like, I don't know what to do. I don't want to miss out, but I'm so tired. And so I literally stood on the sidewalk in the rain for like a minute or two trying to like go through the pros and cons. Will I be sad that I missed an event? Or will I be happy that I went home? Will I be sad that I didn't spend time with these people? Or, you know, and so, yeah, I don't like split decisions, game time decisions. They're not, they're not my thing. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting you say that because I'm a five on the Enneagram, the investigator. And so it sounds to me like you're saying as a seven, you like to just avoid, you distract yourself with scrolling through your phone or snacking or whatever other examples you use but choosing comfort yeah, yeah. but for me as a five as an investigator I feel like I don't have enough information mm. that's what cripples me is like I have to like I have to learn more I can't possibly make this decision until I know everything there is to know about it but it sounds like you've got a little bit of that going on with you too um 
So for to Kylie's point, for me, deadlines are really good mm. because it's like I like I have to make the decision with what inf- whatever information I've gathered up to that point. Mm-hmm. And so it's helpful for me even making small decisions to kind of set deadlines in my own head. Like, mm. all right, by uh, you know noon today, I'm going to decide whether or not I'm going to go to dinner with friends tonight. That mm. way, I just like give myself time otherwise I run into where you what you're talking about where I'm just like I just avoided all the way through and sometimes it's like dinner's already started and I haven't even de- decided if I'm going to be there yet or not no that's interesting because when I'm like in a healthy space or like yeah I'm taking a decision and I'm stu- stewarding it in like a healthy way I will give myself time and I will set a deadline and But when it's a last minute thing or like more of a seven, like a quick decision, that's when I get crippled and I don't know how to make the decision quickly, which is why when I'm healthy, I will actually give myself time and deadlines. Whereas if I'm trying to make quick decisions or like rash decisions, it might not be as well thought through or I might, you know, get nervous or not know how to make the decision or whatever it is so we talked about this in a previous episode you're talking about time Mm -hmm. and we talked about how there's a sweet spot for time when it comes to decision making where if you make a decision too quick you're you're deciding on impulse Mm -hmm. and that can be dangerous Mm -hmm. but if you wait too long then you're just avoiding it through these different means we've been talking about So, you know, if we're talking about avoiding choices, there's a there's a way in which avoiding choices is a good thing. You don't want to just make a choice based on your immediate emotion. You want to avoid it until you have the adequate amount of information. How do you wrestle with that tension of finding that sweet spot and wondering, am I going too early or am I waiting too late? Or is it time for me to go ahead and pull the trigger on this decision? Mm-hmm. How do you wrestle through all of that? Yeah, I think that's a really great question. And I think it definitely depends on the type of decision that I'm making. If it's a a big decision, for instance, I just graduated and I made a decision rather than going straight into the work world or applying for jobs right away to take some time off and to apply to a ministry called Youth with a Mission, where I'll be in Denmark for six months um, and I'll be learning a lot about missions and how to serve people and sharing the gospel um, and serving people in Copenhagen. And so a decision like that was huge. And that's something that I'd been thinking about, man, for almost a whole year. I'd been praying about it since I was a freshman in college about doing YWAM. And then the Lord opened up a door um, and I started getting serious about the decision the summer before graduation. So that'd be last summer. So a decision like that, I give myself ample time knowing that that is going to very much affect the path that my life goes down essentially. So another factor that I usually consider when I'm trying to make decisions is whether or not it affects my values. So um, I've done the values exercise with Joey and Kylie a few times. The most recent was at their house with a bunch of other friends from um, the house of Corey Ten Boom, which is the house that Kylie was talking about earlier that she advises. Um, And the values that I consistently get every time we do this little card exercise um, are connection, beauty, harmony, hope, and freedom. And so oftentimes, depending on the type of decision, I will factor those in heavily. And how is this decision going to affect those values? Um, So for instance, freedom is something that is huge to me. I've 
probably already mentioned it in this episode as a seven, I get really afraid of making a decision that will block off options or opportunities because I like to be free and I like to live freely. And so if there's a decision like that, such as YWAM, that's going to take away a huge chunk of my freedom because for six months, I'm going to be giving my time to this organization. And I've signed papers where I've said I won't date during those six months. I won't drink alcohol, all these different things. Um, I'm essentially under their guidance for those six months. And so that's taken away a lot of basic um, elements of my freedom, but I'm willing to do that because I know that that's what I want to do and what the Lord's calling me to do. So definitely focusing on my values is something that I consider when I'm trying to make decisions. And so if it's going to affect them heavily, I'll give that decision more time. You know what's... Oh, go ahead. You. Not only when a decision is affecting your values in a negative way, but you probably consider how the choices that are in front of you are going to affect your values in a positive way. My guess is that your choice to give up some of your freedom for YWAM is because you are going to be living out actively some of your other core values in a really huge way that you think is more important than the lack of freedom um, that you have with, I guess, tying yourself down to this organization or making a commitment to it. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely say that hope and connection are two of those values that I'm going to get to live out in a big way while I'm in Denmark. Hope being, I mean, the gospel is hope. The gospel is my hope every day um, and every decision that I make, no matter what, like Jesus Christ is my hope. And so that's something that I'm going to get to share with so many other people across the world. And that was a huge part of the decision making. And then also connection too. So connecting with people in YWAM and on my team and people in Copenhagen um, and just opening up my worldview in that way, um, getting to see beauty over in a different country. And so all these different values that I have, I'm going to get to live out in different and new ways. Um, whereas maybe I won't get that freedom aspect as much as I'd normally prefer, but I'm willing to give it up. That way I can live out the other values in a deeper sense. I think you're onto something really important because you talked before about how the higher the stakes, the more we feel is on the line, the more complicated and difficult this gets. And what's interesting about what you're saying now about values is that when things feel high stake, it's because it has something to do with our values. Mm. But if we don't know what our values are, then we are really kind of panicked to try mm. to and scared to try to make a decision that works out. And so we will, instead of recognizing that that fear, that high stakes is actually our values, we think it's, we replace it with something we can see clearly and understand. So it might be like people liking me, right? Mm -hmm. And so this feels so important to me. So I'm going to make a decision that the people around me are going to affirm, mm -hmm. or I'm going to make one that has the, easiest, least dramatic, negative consequences. Mm. I don't realize what's really at stake are my values. And so I replace that feeling of this is so important mm. with something superficial that's just a little bit easier to wrap our heads around. So I love that you've brought up the the values cards. For, the, for our listeners, you can go to crossroad.net and find the values cards and do this exercise to help you 
be intentional about learning what your values are. Um, but I think what Serena's saying is so great because we struggle with decisions that feel high stake and they feel high stake, not just because of the consequences they might lead to. They feel high stake because they're in some way connected to our values. Mm. And if we don't back up and figure out what values are at stake and what this thing in front of us has to do with our values, mm. then we're not going to be in the posture to make the best decision possible. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. I am a chronic people pleaser and that's something I have to actively fight against all the time. Um, oftentimes I would show up to a meeting with Kylie over the past few years and present this decision to her and be like, Kylie, like I have this thing, help, what do I do? And I'd hope, I would just hope that she would just tell me what to do because I'm like, <laughs> what would a normal person do? Or what is the socially acceptable answer? And she would always say, Serena, I'm not going to tell you what to do. And it was the most frustrating answer she could possibly give me. But looking back on all those times, I'm so thankful that she always gave me that answer because I'm starting to understand more and more why she would say that to me. And that was because she wanted me to make my own decisions based on my values and who am I and what way is the Lord leading me in my own life. Otherwise, I was trying to make decisions based on what do other people want me to do or think I should do because I wanted to please her and I wanted to please them and I just want people to like me, but that's not why we're here at all. Um, if we're just making decisions based on what other people think about us, who are we, you know? Yeah. Well, and I think a part of it, and I, I know this to be true with you and Kylie, is we just don't trust ourselves. Mm -hmm. We don't trust that our values are valuable. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes we seek out a mentor or we seek out a parent or a professor or somebody to just say like, okay, I don't trust myself, but I trust you. And what you're explaining with Kylie is that she's turning that mirror around and saying, you are valuable. Mm. You are not only capable of making this decision, you're the best person equipped to make this decision. So I'm going to do a disservice making it on your behalf. Mm. And so what Kylie's doing there is empowering your values. But it's, again, it's just so hard if we don't really know what those values are. Mm. If we don't really know what matters to us, it's hard for us to trust ourselves. Mm. Let me say it this way. If we don't know who we are, it's hard to trust who we are, mm. right? And so diving into investigating our values and really measuring the decisions we come across against those values and how they're going to affect it, as, as you've talked about, I think is so vital and so important to, to decision-making. Okay, so you just talked about coming to my office, having a hard time, um, wanting somebody else to tell you what to do, um, and me constantly telling you, no, um, <laughs> you need to make a choice. And so I think it would be really helpful to talk about when you recognize that you are avoiding a decision mm -hmm. and like how you recognize that you're actually avoiding a decision, but then how, how, what are some of the practices, some of the things that you've started doing to help you to stop avoiding making the decision, the decision and start actively thinking about, um, okay, what, like, how do you make a choice now? Mm. How do you actually decide instead of going somewhere else? Mm. I've been trying to approach decision-making in a different way more recently. Um, rather than 
I used to always, anytime I had to make a decision, I used to always go to other people first. And in fact, when I first showed up to college and first left home, I would, I would go to so many people. I could, you know, any decision I had to make, it's like, okay, what do the roommates think? What does Kylie think? What do, what do my sisters think? What does this person think? And it would get so confusing. I would be like, I don't even know what I want, first of all. And second of all, what everyone else wants doesn't even add up because there's like four people (laughs) who say this one thing and like three who say another. And it's like, well, who, you know, I value and trust all these people. So what do I do? And then the decision was even harder to make. And so as I've been moving forward, I've been trying to approach decision making by first going to the word Um, And first praying to the Lord. And so what I've been trying to do is schedule more alone time on my calendar or just being more, um, just being better at having nights alone where I'm not necessarily making plans with friends and being okay with just sitting with myself for that evening or, you know, walking to a coffee shop in the afternoon and just taking a journal and maybe my Bible and just talking to the Lord about it first. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm not going to ask other people what they think. But if it's a smaller decision, I'm trying to challenge myself more and more to first turn to the Lord and then maybe just make the decision or turn to the Lord and then maybe one or two people or, you know, a mentor or a sister or something like that. Um And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And I find myself asking other people. Um, And so, yeah. You guys, uh, you guys seen the game show Family Feud? You know that game show? I actually haven't. No. All right. So it's like two families, right? And they, uh, the host comes and asks one member of the family a question. And it's like, they've surveyed a hundred people and the top like five answers are up on this big screen. And so the players are trying to guess what they've said, right? Mm. And so uh, if the you know if they get it right, it goes to the next family member, and if enough of them miss, then it goes to the other side, and the other family gets a chance to guess what's up there. So what you're when you're talking about this, it's uh, it reminds me of Family Feud because it's the sometimes as a person watching Family Feud, it's like a question like uh, you know hundred people surveyed, what is the best place to visit in New York City, right? And so you're trying to give like the most popular answers. But sometimes I look up at at the five answers and I'm like, I disagree with all of those, right? And then sometimes there is something that pops up on the board that I wasn't even thinking about. And so what is so complicated about family or community is that their input is so vital. And sometimes it'll flash something on your board or across your mind that you haven't thought about. And that can be so helpful, but sometimes, like we get this in the Bible in the book of Job, sometimes all the answers just aren't the right one for you. And sometimes they're distractions and sometimes they're they're not necessarily helpful. And Serena, you were talking earlier about your friend who was like, hey, you need to make a decision when you guys were on the subway platform. And so community is such a valuable part of decision making. But at the end of the day, like you've got to make your own choice. And I do the same thing as you a lot. I'll kind of, you know, survey the family, survey the people I trust. And sometimes I look at the most popular answer and I'm like, I don't think this is right. You know, I was at a church a few years ago and everybody in my family was like, you need to get out of this church. Like, just leave. Go find a different. I was working for the church. Go find a different job. Go somewhere else. Like, this is toxic. 
And it, that made so much sense. It was helpful to hear, but it was also like, no, it's just not the right choice. I feel like this is where God has me for such a time as this. And so one of the things that makes decision-making so complicated is that you bring in a mentor or friends or your community around you, and, and they are helpful. That is in and of itself helpful. But at the end of the day, you're the creative force in your own life. You're the decision maker. You're the one that casts the vote about what you're actually going to do. And so it all kind of comes down to you making the choice. And so all of these things that I'm talking about and that you're mentioning, Serena, I think are these coping mechanisms that we try to use to avoid facing that reality, that this is my life and I've got to take ownership of it. And it's so scary because it is high stakes. It really is. But at the end of the day, it's something we can't avoid. We try to pawn it off on other people. We try to avoid it. Um, we can't take a survey. Imagine if you took a survey in popular culture about what the best choice for your life would be. You'd get a bizarre set of answers and, and they wouldn't necessarily be true to who you are. So at the end of the day, we've got to pull the trigger. We've got to make that decision ourselves. And that's tough. It's vulnerable. Um, and it's really difficult. Uh, a lot of what I hear both of you talking about is a desire for surety, a desire to to know that we've made the right decision uh, so that we feel in control of our life, of where we're at, um, that we know we're on the right path. Um, so how do you know that you've made the right choice? What are some things that you have experienced? Maybe you don't, I don't know, but just like thinking about that, like surety and what that means like how do you know that you have made the right choice after you've made a decision yeah that's a great question I think for myself at least whenever I'm thinking more big picture decisions right now I think that whenever I've made a decision that I know I've made based on what I Serena actually want and what the Lord wants me to do I feel an overwhelming sense of peace. Um, for instance, choosing the college that I chose, I remember that decision-making process being stressful, but knowing as soon as I heard about Kings and learned more about it, um, that that was where the Lord wanted me to be. Um, I actually, when I was choosing colleges for a long time, was going back and forth between um, the King's College and NYU, and for a while... I, I just, it was another one of those decision, you know, paralysis thing. I was like, I don't know how to make this decision. But as I kept praying, I just knew that the Lord wanted me at King's and I made that decision and I committed and I had just this overwhelming sense of peace and calmness. And sometimes even to this day, I'll like walk by the NYU campus and I'll put myself in the shoes of what if I was an NYU student, how would I feel? And I can just imagine the way I would feel and I would feel maybe out of place, you know, maybe like I hadn't followed the Lord. And I, so I think that oftentimes when you make a decision that you know that he's calling you to make and you make it, you go down the path that he's asking you to go down, he'll give you that reassurance that like you've done what I've asked you to do, like well done, you know, my good and faithful servant. Whereas like if you don't, you, I, I, I don't know, maybe not everyone feels this way, but I know that I feel like I've made the wrong decision. Um Maybe I feel a bit of anxiousness or just, you know, like, man, you know, that sense of like, I need to turn around and like, oh, I didn't confront that the right way. I need to go back and like, 
you know, do something else or forgive us or ask for forgiveness because I didn't, you know, make the right decision in that moment or something. Um, yeah. What happens when you make a choice and then your expectations don't align with reality? Hmm. Well, I get sad. <laughs> like, <laughs> man, what if I had made the other decision? I'm just curious because I'm sure people, like, sometimes don't feel peace. Mm. Like, complete peace about their decisions or mm. their choices. And they wonder, have I made the wrong choice? Because this is difficult. Like, right. this path, this undertaking that I'm on, like, isn't what I thought it was going to mm. be. And, like, what what makes you choose to continue? What makes you choose to stick and stay when things get hard? I just think uh, it's especially interesting because you're an Enneagram 7 and you like comfort and you don't like pain. Like, that's your key motivator is avoid pain. Mm -hmm. And so when you make a choice, when you make a decision and suddenly it's hard, suddenly it's not what you thought it was going to be, how, like, what is the thing that, like, anchors you to continuing to move down that path? I, I want to say sometimes I, I just, there's no other option. Like, for instance, um, when I was considering leaving Kings after my freshman year because it did get hard and it wasn't all that I thought, one of the main questions that, like, came to my mind is I was like, where else would I go? Like, what else would I do? Um... Also acknowledging reality that pain isn't fully avoidable. Like, uh, you know, Kylie and I always talk about how Enneagram 7's, like, I love to live on, you know, the mountaintop, um, like, on the spectrum of mountaintop to valley in life. I love living on mountaintop for, like, the very high moments when, like, you're road tripping to Nashville with your best friends and you're eating Hattie B's hot chicken and biscuits and <laughs> everything's great. Like, those moments are what I get really excited about. Um, but also remembering that real life happens in the middle and real life also sometimes happens in the valley, too. And remembering that and knowing that it's not always going to be easy, but that I need to persevere anyway because that's just what the Lord tells me I have to do. Perseverance produces character. Um, so sometimes I just know that I have to push through those hard seasons in life and that's what's going to cause me to grow and to learn and to produce fruit in my life rather than just running away from pain all the time because honestly you just can't do that so all this to say I think that just pushing through pain sometimes and pushing past um those hard seasons is the only option that you have I you know how people say that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results I've been thinking recently about how that's also the definition of perseverance. So how do you know if you're crazy or if you're persevering? And I think it's actually really helpful, Serena, for you to sit here and just like struggle through. I don't know that like it's it's to me, it feels like it's impossible. It's impossible to tell if Kylie and I continuing to try to get pregnant is insanity or if it's perseverance. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that's helped me grow in my decision making is to not think about so much 
how it's going to turn out or how it has turned out. You know, you're, you've loved your time at Kings. It's turned out well. That's, that's great. Um, and it's easy for us to say like, well, we'll see if we have a baby, then it'll be perseverance. If we don't have a baby, it'll be insanity. But I think we get so focused on the outcomes that we think that what really makes our lives what they are is the process. Mm. So you made a courageous decision to go to Kings. You're making a courageous decision to go overseas for mission work. That courage is a successful decision. And if Denmark is a disaster, you'll learn from it and you'll make, you know, probably a different decision the next time something comes around. But it won't have meant that your decision to go there is wrong. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? If Kylie and I never get pregnant, it won't mean that we've just wasted and made wrong decisions all along the way. We have learned and grown so much. And so for me, one of the keys is to try to connect my values and mm-hmm. therefore my decision making to the process and not so much to the outcomes. Mm-hmm. And to say, like, I don't know if I'm crazy or persevering, but I'm going to try to f- like find the beauty, uh, the worship, the love that I can find throughout the process mm-hmm. and not define my insanity or my perseverance by how things turn out down the road you know we love complete stories as humans we love to look back and say i was having a hard time but now i've conquered it right and i actually struggle with this in my personal life i have a hard time knowing what my struggle is until i've overcome it and then i can tell people like two years ago this is what i was going through but at the time i was just in a funk i couldn't i didn't understand what i was going through i'm so averse to incomplete stories that i can't even live one with self-awareness but I think it's so important for, it's been important for me in my decision-making process and growing in it to, to sit in that messiness a little bit and to say like, uh, the place, the decision that I've made might turn out great, it might turn out bad, but why did I make it? How did I make it? And to be honest, there are certainly times where you can take any of your uh, values that you mentioned And you can twist your own brain to think about a bad decision. Mm -hmm. There can be a guy that is terrible for you and you can be like, well, but a relationship is connection. You know, Mm -hmm. like there are ways that we can self-deceive even within even value-based self-deception. But for me, I'm trying to measure my decision making on the process of accurately making those decisions based on the true nature of my values. And that in and of itself is just not clean. It's Mm -hmm. messy. That's why we're having this conversation. That's why you and Kylie meet and talk because nobody has this figured out. Mm-hmm. Nobody's like, you know what? Here's the here's the formula. And I just repeat it over and over again. It's like, no, it's messy. Sometimes I don't do it well. Sometimes I have great outcomes and sometimes I have terrible ones. Sometimes the great outcomes are actually great for me. Sometimes the great outcomes are the worst thing that's ever happened to me. Mm-hmm. And it's just so hard as a human to deal with, with the consequences of our choices and the realities the practical realities that we have to face. And for me, one of the transcendent ideas is that to try to rise kind of above my circumstances and make my decisions process-based instead of outcome-based. I also think it's important to recognize that it's not healthy to be making values-based choices solely in order for us to live out our values. We need to have something aspirational that we are actually working towards, that we are directing our values-based choices towards, right? Something that is purposeful and meaningful. Um, Because at the end of the day, if I'm just 
living out freedom just for the sake of freedom without actually directing it towards something, then it's not productive. It's not helpful. It's not contributing to society or community or life in a way that really has any deep meaning or sense. And so we need to have that transcendent, as Joey said, that transcendent there, that something that our values are pointing us towards and are we're really using as, as Joey uses this example all the time, that our, our transcendent there is the, the hub and the spokes that connect to the wheel that moves us down the path is our values, right? And so our values need to connect to something that is bigger than just the value in and of itself. Um, and I think like that is really what you're talking about, the thing that tethers you and keeps you going, even when it's hard and difficult. Um, this is valuable and important. Your experience at King's has been valuable and important because it's helped to make you a better disciple. It's helped mm -hmm. to educate you. You have been an active member of a really valuable community where you've experienced connection and joy and freedom of expression to be yourself and who you are. And so you're living out these values, but towards something that is bigger than just those values in and of, of themselves. I think it's funny how, and I get sucked into this all the time, how oftentimes we think that one wrong decision is totally going to mess up God's plan for our lives. I have friends all the time, you know, we'll be analyzing something, probably overanalyzing it. We'll be talking about, you know, pros and cons of a decision. And it's like, yes, this is important. But if for some reason this was quote unquote the wrong decision, your life is not going to fall apart. Like the Lord ha can redeem anything. So making a wrong decision isn't going to totally throw off what he's got lined up for you. You're not going to totally walk out of the his will for your life and then everything, you know, is it's over and done with. Like I think that um, decisions are important, but knowing that the Lord can work with you is also more important. Yeah, I I love that you said that. I we talk so much about like just trying and seeing, but I think also like recognizing that our failures are opportunities too. Mm -hmm. If we don't make the right choice, like what do we learn from it? Mm -hmm. Are we going to learn from it? Are we going to take the opportunity to recognize that oh, maybe this isn't the right choice, but I will do something different in the future as opposed to just as Joey was saying, like continue to do the same thing over and over and over again to negative ends. Um, I would, I would say like, it's a beautiful opportunity for us to grow, right? We grow in our failures, uh, in the pit of despair is where intimacy happens and where we actually recognize that there are different things that we can do in order to get to our end and, um, to be willing to, learn and adjust based upon those choices um, is such a beautiful thing. It's part of the growing process, right? It's part of life. Um, I feel like we're, we, I talk with so many students all the time in my office about how they're just, they just want to get there. They like are just trying to get to that thing. And so what choices, what decisions are going to get them to that thing where they feel like they finally made it. Um, and the fact of the matter is like, when you get there, you're going to die. Like it's death, right? Death is the end. Um, that's the thing that they're striving towards. You're never going to fully make it. You're always on this journey of making choices and decisions and choosing what path you're going to take in this life. And so, 
it's about recognizing that and then learning from the choices we've made in the past or are currently making and making better choices in the future. Um, choices that reflect our character and who God has made us to be more truly than what they might have been in the past or what they might even be currently. We're all in this sanctification process of learning and growing and becoming more like Christ. Mm -hmm. And in order to do that, we've got to break some eggs. We've got to fall down. Um, we've got to mess up so that we can learn to do things better. Yeah, the choice that is in front of you right now is not the choice. Mm -hmm. It's this choice. And you're going to have we did an episode about this already. You're going to have millions and billions of choices throughout your lifetime. And this one matters, but it is not the one. Mm -hmm. And so I think what you're saying is absolutely right. We get so caught up in the crossroad that we're at today mm -hmm. that we're blinded to the crossroads that we've overcome. Mm -hmm. And we're not considering the crossroads that are inevitably going to face mm -hmm. us in the future. So you're right. I think the just absolute abundance of choices can sometimes be overwhelming, but it also can sometimes be freeing because like, all right, I can make this one with courage, do the best I can here. Life's going to go on and there's going to be a whole new set of difficult choices for me around the corner. And Joey was just mentioning a little bit ago how sometimes you make a decision and the outcomes aren't exactly what you want them to be, which is just life. And so that made me think about something that we talk about all the time, which are the three things you can control which are your choices, your perspective, and who you trust. And I believe you guys did an episode on that in season one, because mm -hmm. I remember listening to it, um, on these three <laughs> things. Um, and so I'm just thinking about how sometimes you do make a choice, um, whether or not it was a choice you made based on your own values or what you believe to be right, but sometimes you make a choice and the outcomes just aren't what you want. Um, and that's just life. That happens all the time. Sometimes I'll make choices to schedule myself busy for an, a whole week. Every day I make some sort of a plan only to find out by Tuesday I'm exhausted and I wish I could just be alone, but it's too late because I've made all these plans and I regret the decision. But I always go back to remembering that my perspective is something I actually have control over. And that has been a game changer to realize that I can choose to either live in the freedom circle or the victim circle. And it's crazy to me now that I have this knowledge for myself, how many people don't actually know that they have choice over their own perspective. Mm. So many people that I'm meeting all the time live in this victim circle and they don't actually even know that they live there. Or even, I mean, I have some family members who I'm thinking of who I love deeply and dearly who don't actually know that they have choice over their own perspective. And so they're constantly complaining or upset or they're just seeing the, you know, the negative side of everything that they're experiencing. And I'm just like, do you know that you, you actually have a choice? You have a choice to live in the freedom circle. Like you can totally flip your perspective on the situation and see it in a different lens, which isn't always true, I guess, depending on, you know, what the, what the situation is, but oftentimes people do have perspective. And so just to remember that you can choose the way you want to look at something is very helpful. I think that's a good place for us to start wrapping up because we're talking about choices and how to have the courage to move past whatever coping mechanisms might be causing you to avoid choices. I think one of the best steps for that is to take ownership of your perspective. And we've talked about this a little bit. Serena's mentioned some things about this, but your values are so important. And Kylie, I love what you said about the need for that hub, because without that hub, 
you've got spokes without a wheel and that is chaos, right? It's just, they're going to flap all over the place. And so if Serena has freedom without joyfully free as the thing that freedom is leading to, then she's going to take this posture of freedom of, I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. That's freedom. That's living in your value, right? But it's not pointing towards that transcendent there. It's not pointing towards that hub. So I would suggest here at the close of this episode that we measure the success of our choices by this question. Am I utilizing my values to propel me towards my transcendent there? If I'm doing that in honesty and with courage, then no matter how things turn out, I can't control the rest of it, but I can choose that. And if I'm choosing an alignment with that, I'm making a good choice. And I can live, honestly, you can live with just about any circumstance that happens as an outcome of, the, of a good choice there. And so I think that Serena's point about, look, we get to control what we perceive. We get to control our attitude. So if you're going around saying, yeah, but people are going to hate me, that's your, you get to choose whether or not you focus on that. You don't have to. You don't have to focus on the way that other people are reacting. You can choose your own perspective. You also might say, well, but my parents want this or that. Like, that's great. And that's a reality. And that's something you have to navigate. But it's your choice how much of that perspective. It's just like the family feud board. At the end of the day, it's your choice how much of that you're going to internalize and how much you're going to own. And we borrow so much of these visions from noises around us because we don't have a good internal sense of what our true vision and values are. Thank you so much, Serena, for joining us. This has been such a pleasure to just sit and chat with you a little bit. What a matter of day is before you embark on this next big decision that you've made for your life. And so thanks for making the time. Yeah, thank you guys so much. I really enjoyed chatting with you as podcast co-hosts rather than just pals or mentors. (laughs) Um, I really enjoyed this. Thank you for listening to the Crossroad Podcast. The world is out there waiting for you to become the best leader you can possibly be. We hope our conversations have helped. For more, please visit our website, thecrossroad.net.